Welcome to Because We Make, the podcast about making, creativity, and why we do what we do as makers and creatives. I'm your host, Vincent Ferrari, and I'm flying solo, kind of. I mean, obviously, I'm not going to do a podcast solo because y'all wouldn't listen, and I wouldn't blame you because I wouldn't listen to that either. But I do have a guest, and instead of doing the usual um, niceties and how was your week stuff, before the guest, we're going to actually do that with the guest because the guest is going to kind of be like an almost co-host, like a pseudo co-host. So my guest this week is um, one of my good friends. He is a, we call him the sage of our community. Um, he's obviously in our Discord group. So by the way, a lot of you have joined our Discord group lately, and that's really cool because I'm seeing a lot of you a lot more, and that's very, very cool. And if you aren't a member of our Discord group, you should probably get in touch with me and find out what you need to do to get involved because I'm telling you, it's becoming the best community of makers on the internet, and you're going to want to be a part of it if you aren't already. But anyway, um, one of the people in that group that um, likes to dispense sage advice and um, a little bit of wisdom every now and then, who also, thankfully, happens to be the host of a podcast also, and we'll talk about that. Um, my good friend, the one and only Dean DePlantis. What's going on, buddy? Hey, Vincent. Thanks for having me on, man. This is uh, really exciting for me. It's it's almost bittersweet. Oh, why is that? <laughs> well, I, it's it's sweet because this is this is the podcast. I mean, this is the upper echelon of making <laughs> podcasts, and that's... that's you know, Aww. irrefutable. Aww. But then it's bitter that uh, you know, my favorite podcast has reached the low levels of having somebody like me on as a co-host. <laughs> well, I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a funny story. So, I know you, I know you're very active on Instagram, obviously, um, and I know you're very active in the Makers on Zoom group, and you know, you're very active generally in the community. And I also know that you have a YouTube channel, but I could, I wanted to see just how many, um, how many videos were on your channel. And I looked and you have like five videos and two of them are because we make challenges. And I'm like, I love that. <laughs> I just love that. Like <laughs> we are forcing Dean to make videos and it's awesome. <laughs> no, that's, there's a whole lot of truth to that. And it's, it's even deeper than that, Vincent. Um, so my whole original YouTube setup was Ethan told me what to buy. I had oh, an wow. iPad. He told me what external hard drive to buy and what microphone to buy to get it mm -hmm. to work. And I made a, uh, I made one practice video and then I did a enlightenment challenge video, which was a ton of fun. But what got it done was the deadline. You know, you have a deadline to get yeah. to. And my next video was my most ambitious. It was my, I, I made a sink out of a craftsman toolbox. It's one of my favorite projects, but I made a, a big mistake with the audio in the video and it just upset me so much. I kind of didn't go back to the pond. Uh, well then y'all did the unwrap a gift challenge and I was sitting on the couch. It was actually, we didn't have power during one of the uh, storms that came through. And I said, you know what? I'm going to sit here on my iPad and just edit a video in the dark. And threw that one together and, and threw it out on YouTube. And I think I'm about to start trying to maybe do one every two months. That'd be a good goal. That's not a, that's, that's a pretty, that's a pretty achievable goal. I think that's one thing that people, when they start in content creation, it's something that they tend to get wrong, where they, they set a very ambitious goal 
And then when they can't hit their very ambitious goal, it's super discouraging. Like you could, you could very well come out and say, I'm going to crank out a video every week. It's not realistic. I mean, it's not, it's realistic to make a video every week. It's not realistic to go from zero to a video every week. Like it's just, it's just not. And, you know, doing one every two months where you can really focus on it, you can do a larger project or you could do a smaller one that you do the night before. Either way, you're giving yourself a little bit of wiggle room to get it right and get it done, which is good. That, that makes the goal achievable. And then you just adjust the goal later on. I think doing the small ones is the gateway because it gives you familiarity with the software mm -hmm. and you're not trying to tackle some whale of a project and navigate video editing software. And then, and it's compounded by compression time and uh, all the other things that come along with big video files. Yeah, so, totally. Yeah. What start do you small. What do you, your, your camera is, are you shooting on your iPad or? No, I was shooting on a GoPro oh, and okay. exporting, Perfect. but I did get to where I was just supplementing with the iPhone and then, sure. right. So you, you brought something up a second ago and it, it, while we're, let's see how many sageisms we can fit into this. <laughs> I always say you can't do it all. You know, mm -hmm. when you try to do it all, you get overwhelmed. And so can you do extremely active Instagram and extremely active YouTube and extremely impressive projects all the time and learning and building your knowledge base. Eventually you have to kind of pick and choose where you're going to invest your time to grow your skill. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so I started with, um, I, I have the GoPros and I think if I kind of wish I was better at photography and at using the cameras and I have to sacrifice something to improve in those areas. But that may be, I think it would make me happy. And I, I do think I'm going to head in that direction. That's, that's an interesting, that's an interesting point because, you know, I personally, I have pretty much forsaken my YouTube channel. It just, it for the most part just sits there. I mean, I even, I even gave up on putting the episodes up every week because nobody was really watching them there. You know, there were, there were weeks where we would get like 11 views and I'm like, is it worth the effort? to make album art, do the upload, go through the whole process just for 11. It's not really worth the effort. I'm sorry to anyone that was listening to it that way, but it's just, you know, I have to cut my losses a little bit, but I look at my YouTube channel and I think about it the same way. I'm like, I could put a ton of effort into this. I can sit there and every project I do, I mean, I do a lot of different stuff where if I was filming it, it would make decent content. I know it would. And I just can't, I really have trouble going, Okay, but I'm going to do that. I'm going to then do my Instagram, which is my, you know, my gold mine. That's the thing I love. It's the thing I'm most proud of. This podcast, the new Twitter account that I've been growing a little at a time, the Snacker Joe's Instagram account, which has a mind of its own at this point, that's just growing faster than any Instagram account I've ever had. Let me interrupt you, Vinny. Sure. Uh, we went to Trader Joe's two weeks ago, and I couldn't find those, uh, was it Korean pancakes? Oh, the the cinnamon swirl ones. Yeah, couldn't find them. I was so disappointed. Oh, they, you know, it, they're so popular. People love them so much that they they're probably just out of stock right now. I'm gonna actually um, this weekend. I'm gonna have to check and see if they're still there because I'm I'm gonna need some. I'm down to the last two, and the only reason there's two is because Beth hasn't tried them yet. <laughs> so yeah. Otherwise, there'd be none. <laughs> that was a tip given to me from the Snacker Joe's account, though. We were in the store, and I said, "Hold on, I need to pull up Snacker Joe's and see what the recommendations are." <laughs> Oh man, I really wish there was a way to like highlight certain things like like 
where I could make like a shopping list for people where they can say, hey, go there and get this stuff. But right now it's just a sea of stuff. But if you flick through it enough, I have it formatted. And it took me a little while to figure out how to format the reviews. But once I figured it out, the rating will always show up even when you're in like scrolling through. So you don't have to tap the caption to see the review to see the rating. The rating is right there. And I, I know I'm sacrificed because I spend a lot of time writing the reviews. But I also know that people want to just know the number. And then if they're interested, they're going to read it. Like, wait, you gave this a one? Why did you give this a one? Or whatever. I think it, you know, I'm thinking of it more as a user than as a content creator, which is probably stupid. But the growth on the, the growth on that account has been so good. It's like, oh, maybe being a little bit different like that, maybe that's helping, you know? Yeah, you're doing something right. <laughs> yeah, I think, like, I, I, I've tried to crack into spaces you know, doing the podcast, doing YouTube, whatever. But I've never been really, I mean, up until recently, I'm not going to say never, you know, obviously I have a couple of high powered people that follow the show now, but now with, you know, with Snacker Joe's, there are two people that follow me are the biggest in that space, like unquestionably the biggest in the space. One has 370 something thousand people following her and she follows like 200 and I'm one of them. And the other one has like 65,000 people following her and she follows me and she communicates with me on a regular basis. And it's like, wow, I'm, I don't know what I'm doing. I kind of have an idea what I'm doing right with that account, but I'm focusing on it, right? I'm putting a lot of effort into it and it's paying back. It's paying back in the engagement. It's paying back in the clout that it's built up. But if I had done that and the YouTube channel and the podcast, it's like I, nothing would have been growing. It would have all just been mediocre altogether, you know? What do you think's the motivation of those two accounts following you? Well, I, I spoke to, so I spoke to one of them. It's very interesting you say that because I spoke to one of them and I told her, I said, you know, you're one of the reasons because I followed her from my regular Instagram account. That's how I found out about all these Trader Joe's accounts that existed. And I think it was just, I was just very diligent about really writing a quality review and taking really good pictures. Like the, the, the photos, it took me a while to figure out how Instagram handles your photos. It isn't just put a picture up and Instagram makes it look pretty. It's put a picture up but if you don't put it up with certain parameters, like you have to overexpose it just a little bit. You have to over contrast it a little bit. And then when you upload it, you'll notice you can never, you know, just put it up on your screen. Look at two photos. Look at the one on your screen on Instagram. Look at the one in your photo management software. And you're going to see they're very different photos. Instagram crunches your photos and not just compression wise, but I spent a lot of time getting all of this right. Like the reviews, I spend a lot of time writing them. I'm, I'm putting in a lot of effort and I'm posting five reviews a week and yeah. I've been doing it now since May 3rd. So I think just being consistent and clearly putting an effort in is making the difference. I, how they noticed me, I was active with their stuff too. Like when they would post a review, I would I, interact with their stuff. I'd interact on their stories and it, got me noticed it just got me i pure dumb luck that they were kind enough to follow me and once they posted me in their stories once or twice i would just get a deluge of follows the the bigger one the three hundred and seventy thousand one, she posted um because i got her cookbook one or i have both of her cookbooks i bought her second cookbook and i posted it in my stories and she posted it and i got a deal i think i picked up 120 followers in two days from her account 
which doesn't sound like a lot, but I have about 800 on that account. You know, I think it's just making connections with actual people. I think that makes a big difference. So the reason I asked was, you know, I run my Snacker Joe's as rubber stamps. Um, I think if you follow my Instagram, you know me for rubber stamps. Mm -hmm. And there was a time last year when I was approached, I gave, you know, my spiel and I'm pretty open with, you know, what I charge and everything. And I noticed this person went with someone else and it was another maker in Houston or in Texas, West Texas. And I said, you know what, I'm just going to reach out to this person and see what about them made the difference. Mm -hmm. And so I, I wrote them on Instagram and said, look, you and I make similar products. And we had a, uh, I had a prospective customer that ended up going with you and I'm just trying to understand my process. And they were very, very open. And we had a good back and forth that went over a few days where we talked about pricing and packaging and, and how we sell things. And I did come away with some some good thoughts. And one of them was the pictures that you're saying. Mm -hmm. My account was a personal account and I would post stamps every now and then. Well, this person only posted the things that they were making. And so it, they just came across as more professional. And that was the deciding factor between the two of us. Mm. So I went on a run for a few months, actually up in, up until May for makers this past year, where all I picked posted were stamps and they had the same background and it was the same style. And I just tried to get a real consistent drive to where people had a comfort level of what they may get from me if they ordered from me. And that also in turn made my Instagram account go up and, and I sold quite a few stamps like that. Well, in May for Makers, you know, I, I wanted to do something different and I wanted to follow those prompts and I had a great time doing that, but I wasn't posting stamps every day and right. the, the sales kind of dropped off. And I'm fine with that. I'm happy where I'm at. I'm not looking to, uh, you know, I'm looking to do some other stuff right now. But it was interesting that when I found that formula that you were talking about with mm -hmm. posting the similar type content with the right pictures and the right text and everything else, uh, it, I really saw my page grow. I, I was always, I always undervalued, I always undervalued the, um, the product photography. And which is funny because it's a major part of my daily, of my day job is product photography. But I always undervalued it until I took Tabitha Park's um, course, until I took her course on Skillshare. And when I took her course, it, it, it didn't like, I always say this and it's really, it's really the truth. Mechanically, I'm a decent photographer. I don't need help with the mechanics, but there, there's refinement right so it's like when you you know how to maybe change a flat tire but you don't know how to mount a tire on a rim you know mm -hmm. that extra step that you don't know that part of it but you know how to do the basic part and i had the basics nailed like put it in the photo box take you know t add a lot of light as much light as you possibly can but like from her i learned stuff like don't use a studio light and ambient light at the same time that's a definite no-no and in the course, she says, the reason you don't do that is because every, every light you're going to use, if it's different, will have a different color temperature and you won't see it with your eye. But when you go to bring it into your photo editor, which I use Lightroom for that, you'll see immediately you're going to have color casts that you didn't expect to have. And you cannot get rid of both of them because they're on two different spectrums. Basically, they're two different color temperatures. Mm -hmm. So if you correct for one, you're going to enhance the other or vice versa. And stuff like that was like, oh, okay. Because I was having that problem. And she went through everything. And by the time I was done with that class, I'm, I was much more confident 
much. I had the equipment, but I was much more confident in knowing how to use it properly. And I think that that's something that can, you know, what you said with taking your pictures a certain way in a certain style. Like I can, I was just scrolling through your feed as you were saying it. And yeah, it's, it's a very different ball game when I look at your stuff after you changed up how you were photographing them, it looks like proper product photography. You know, it's, you really, your, your product photography is really, really good now. <laughs> like it's very good. All right. So here's um, our next sageism. Yeah. If you want to know why you're not selling anything, look at your pictures. Yeah. Uh, well, and that's so after I took Tabitha's course, I started really paying more attention to the, the refined techniques that I learned from her. And, I went from selling very little on Instagram to selling a lot more from people that found me on Instagram. And my Instagram following actually went up when my pictures got better. So the results were there. I mean, it, it took me forever to get to 500 and it took me half that time to get to 2000. And it's like, wow, okay, things that she taught really, really mattered. Like they really, really mattered. And that's oddly enough, that's why I started, one of the reasons I started the Snacker Joe's account was I wanted to get the reps in of doing product photography a lot. Because I'm of the mindset that if you do something a lot, you just naturally will get better at it and you'll yes. also get faster at it. Let's, uh, let's talk about that for a minute too. You know, obviously I've had a week or two to think about things I wanted to discuss with Vincent. Mm -hmm. And uh, that right there, what you just said, the more you do, the better you'll get. Or and the faster you get, that's something that I never understood until the last year or two. I was, uh, you know, I, we've got some other friends that there. I make things one time, and I was always that I'm going to make this once, and then why would I do it again? And I've through the stamps, I found the joy in refining a process. Mm -hmm. That the goal isn't necessarily the next product project; it's improving on the one I have here until the my final project is a very admirable piece. And so I, right now I'm, I am, I've got two videos I'm working on. One is a hat patch. So, you know, you have a ball cap and you want to put your logo on it. And I'm using the same techniques I learned from making the rubber stamps and I'm using the stamp rubber to make a hat patch. And hmm. I said, well, how do I do this? And I, I made one and it was okay. But I said, Hey Dean, this is one of those times. Let's make 10. Let's do 10 and everyone let's do a different paint technique. Let's do a different, you know, laser numbers. Let's do a different feed and speed and, and intensity of the beam. Let's try different laserable materials. Let's try different adhesives. And then when you get to the end of 10, you can definitely say, okay, this is, a, this is my product. If I'm going to make hat patches, this is my method. And I know it's my method because I've got nine other examples that weren't quite good enough. Hmm. That's that's a hell of a project to get. That's a hell of a project to get into because hat patches are such, they're they're so on trend as they say. Yes. You know, but it's it's great when you when you go at something knowing that I'm going at this with the intention of just getting better at it. I'm right. doing this because I I know I'm gonna I'm, I know I'm gonna need to make one, but I should make a few just to get better at it. And I wasn't doing that enough when I I made my first cutting board with my nephew. It was a kit that I bought of just cut wood mm -hmm. and I glued it up and I just butchered it with the router. Like I made a complete mess of it. In fact, the pen I used that Justin made for me um, is a piece from that kit, from that cutting board because all that was all that was left was a couple of pen blanks. Like that's about all that was salvageable from this cutting board when we were done with it. But, you know, I, I'm, I've made so many cutting boards at this point. I've made a ton of them. But I can tell you with authority 
that I can make a cutting board now in about three days. And that's including dry time yeah. for all, for the glue, dry time for the oil, you know, soak time for the oil, dry time for the finish. Three days. It used to take me a week, like a solid week. Like I couldn't quite get now I just it's mechanical. Oh, glue it up. Okay, out of the glue into the planer. Okay. Off the planer, trim it. Okay, now it's trimmed onto the onto the oscillating sander. Okay, now that's done. Route the corner, route the edges. Spray water on it. Let the water dry. Sand it all the way through the grits, and then throw it in the oil. Done. Engrave if needed. (laughs) For anyone who's made a cutting board, you know you make one, and I can almost promise every single person who's made a cutting board, they put it out in their friends and family. Ooh and ah, and the person sitting there, they're like, yeah, but. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I had to cut the end an inch short because the router took a bit when I was chamfering or mm-hmm. yeah, but I used the wrong oiling technique and now it just dries out a lot or I've got a little <laughs> yep. wiggle to it. And if you made five or six of them, some of those yeah, buts wouldn't be there anymore. One of the, one of my favorite things that I, one of my favorite things that I learned when I started doing this as a business was sometimes, and this is, this is going to come off terrible, but I, I think I'm going to make the point. I hope I make the point. Sometimes your standards are higher than your customers. Yes, always. And I don't mean that to say that I'll hand a piece of crap to a customer because I think I'm just being picky. I don't do that. I, I'm pretty much, I have a board that I made for Ken Madden. Um, it's down in my basement to this day. It is unusable because I would not, I would not give it to a paying customer. Like I, yeah. ju- I just wouldn't do it. It just wouldn't happen. But there have been boards where like I was talking to one of my friends and they're like, you make cutting boards all the time. What do you do after you put the feet on and it rocks? <laughs> you know what I told him? <laughs> I swear to God. I said, loosen the screw. Yeah. I'll put and a he washer goes, under one foot. Right. And he goes, <laughs> he goes, no, seriously, what do you do? I was like, no, that's exactly what I do. I loosen the screw. He goes, isn't it going to fall off? I'm like, no, you're just going to have a little bit. I said, I mean, if it's far enough off where loosening the screw doesn't fix it, you probably should remake it. But if you just have a slight like rock to it, kind of just loosen one of the feet. I said, yeah. what do you think they're going to do? Over time, that board is going to warp. Every cutting board, this is the dirty secret, no matter how good the board you buy, every cutting board will warp because you're going to use one side. You're not going to use the other. One side's always going to be wet. The other's always going to be dry. Over time, it's going to warp. It's yeah. just the way wood works. So what do you do? Well, loosen one of the feet. <laughs> just, you know, that's, it's not a it's not a curse to do it right now if you loosen it and the foot falls off when you pick up the board either use a longer screw or yeah you probably need to remake it or as you said put a washer underneath it right yeah i've done that a few times and it's from after oiling them uh you know i have limited space and so the way i I sit it to dry one side dried faster than the other Mm -hmm. and it um and it's got a little wiggle to it and you know i'll either put some weight on it and let it settle back out or i just Find where what foot's a little high, put a washer under it, and send it out the door. Most of the, most of the time, most of the time, most of the time, the board will come out. See, it's funny because I do a full bath with it. I mm-hmm. soak the board. I prefer to do it that way because I just think it penetrates a little better. But one thing I learned the hard way, and again, this is another one of those you know you learn it from doing. I used to take it out and put it on paint pyramids. Mm. That's the dumbest freaking idea on the on the planet. Don't do that because the board's wet, right? And wet wood really likes to get dented a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and I used to put it on these paint pyramids and I I would flip it over. I'm like, oh, this board's beautiful. 
I mean, what the hell is that? Like, where'd that come from? Oh, no. And I ended up figuring out that if I use the flat side of my bench cookies, I have those, um, the triangle-shaped ones. Yeah. And if I put them flat, oh, look at that. No more dents on the bottom of the board. But these are things you don't know until it happens to you. Like, you have to make the mistakes. You just do. I mean, how yeah. many boards I had that, that dent, and I had to sand the side of the board yes. to get rid of it, <laughs> you know? I, I have so many good stories. I, I keep forgetting on this podcast we're allowed to tell stories. Oh, um, stories are highly encouraged. <laughs> I had a cutting board last year. Right when quarantine started, I had a few people reach out, and I'm like, oh, I've got a big stock of wood. This would be a good thing to do. And I, I made this friend a cutting board. It was a beautiful cutting board. And so I send her a picture of it, and she writes back and says, my husband wants a juice groove around. And oh. I don't have a juice groove, juice groove jig, and it's an ingrained cutting board. But I do have an X-carve. And I said, all right, yep. I'm just going to throw it in the X-carve and let it cut the groove. Well, the board was 22 inches long, and I have the medium X-carve that exceeds the, the cutting length. Oh, no. So I said, that's okay. I'm just going to get me a good stop to where I know this corner, and then I can reference and I'm back in that same corner, and I'm going to cut a U from both sides. And I cut it, and the U's don't line up. <laughs> Oh, no. They halfway overlap right in the middle for about an inch and a half length. And I'm going, oh my God, what am I going to do with this board? And I chased the rabbit on this board trying to get it <laughs> deliverable. And so the solution I came up with was right in the middle of the board. I kind of made these boxes where the juice grooves ran into. And oh. I told the guy they were kind of like overflow, you know. So if, the, if there was too much <laughs> juice on the board, there's this little overflow reservoir. And he loved it. He talked about how good the overflow reservoir always works. And oh, I'm going, if brilliant. you only knew, man, if you only knew. I made a board for someone. I won't. I won't mention who they are. But if they, if you figure out that this is your board, message me because I'm just curious to see. Because I know the person that I did this for listens, um, and I'm very curious if they notice. So I made a board, and I really did think I had this board flat. I really thought I had it flat. There's one thing in my shop that I know is flat, and that's the surface on my CNC. I am a hundred percent positive that is flat as flat can be. There is nothing popping anything up on there so i i do the usual process for doing a juice groove on it and the router is going and it makes the first pass and it doesn't even make contact with half the board mm. and i'm like how the hell did that and then it really starts running into the other yeah. half and i'm like oh shit i'm screwed so i just let it go and I was like, all right, you know what I'll do? I'll zero, I'll knock the zero down a, a 32nd of an inch and I'll run it again. And I did. And then I knocked it down a 32nd of an inch and I ran it again. And I'm looking at this juice groove now and I'm like, oh man, that is really, there's a lot of variation in the depth from top to bottom. But the genius of that, when something goes into the top of the juice groove, it flows really nicely to the bottom of the juice groove because it's pitched. Yeah. It's almost like you would run a gutter. And I didn't do it intentionally, but it came out really, really cool. And I'm like, yeah, that's a feature now. <laughs> that's that's going right. That's what you brought to the uh, cutting board world, the Vincent uh, juice group. <laughs> the gutter, the juice gutters. We're going to call them juice gutters. <laughs> you were talking about projects earlier, and it, it reminded me of one I have sitting on my bench. It's Do you ever get maker block where something, a problem sneaks up? 
and you just can't bring yourself to step up and finish because this problem is staring you in the face. Until I started packing up the shop to move it, that was most of the things that are downstairs. Oh, my goodness. So this poor friend of mine, and luckily I don't take any money up front, and I tell everybody, if you want me to make you something, I'll consider it. I'll put it on my wall. And if one day I walk in and look at it and want to do that, I'll text you and let you know it's coming. (laughs) And so she asked for... um, some serving trays and she had some specifics, you know, flat bottom. She wanted a certain size and she wanted some other features. And I said, okay, yeah, no problem. We'll put it on the wall. Well, three or four months ago, I, one day I just decided to make these trays and I got all the pieces cut, everything shaped, sanded, drilled, ready to glue up and pin. I don't use any, uh, metal fasteners. I, I do dowel and rabbit jointry on these. And I noticed that the two end pieces have burns from the table saw blade. And it's just so hard to sand that off. You almost need to recut it. And I just put them down and walked away. It's been (laughs) six weeks. And she messaged me uh, last week wondering uh, if her boards were ever going to be finished. And I'm like, man, you've made it back on the wall. I'll I'll let you know if I ever pull that. I've got uh, some little chalkboard uh, clips hung hung up. I was like, I'll let you know if I grab your board again. But uh, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not quite sure if this is really going to (laughs) happen. Yeah. The first, the first checkerboard cutting board I did for my friend Jim, um, that board was, so it was 24 by 20. So it wasn't small. It wasn't small and I didn't have thick wood. So that checkerboard pattern was three quarter inch squares on a 24 by 20 board. Mm -hmm. So there's like, there's a couple of, there's a couple of hundred squares of Paduke and maple on this board. And I, I glued the whole thing up and I was very okay with the way it came out. And then I look at it and I'm like, how the hell am I supposed to cut? That? I start looking at it like, and you, you talk about maker block. All I had to do was trim this board. Right. And I'm looking at it like, I can't do this. Yeah. If you I can't trim believe- it, that means you had to flip and re-glue. Right. And then, uh, that's exactly what I was saying. I'm looking at it going, I, my table saw can't handle this. Like, yeah. what the hell am I supposed to do with this thing? And I'm, I'm staring at it, and I'm staring at it, and I'm staring at it. I'm like, I don't know what to do. And then it hit me. as like, well, you know one person in the whole universe, one person in the whole universe who can bail your dumb ass out. So I called up Al from New York Woodworks, and I'm like, listen, buddy, I need help. You always tell me if I ever need anything let you know well i need your help i need to borrow your table saw for a few minutes it's like yeah come on up so i went up and on this gigantic death machine of a table saw that he has because his his table saw doesn't even have doesn't have a riving knife on it like it's an old like 1950s but it's a massive massive table saw and i just you know he has a really nice cross cut sled and we flattened it out on Hannibal and then we cut it real nice on, uh, we cut it really nice on his table saw. And that thing is an achievement. Like that board is beautiful. There's one square on the whole board that doesn't quite line up. And my eye goes right to it, but I will never point it out to somebody. I will never say that that's, that square is in the wrong spot. Like that maple and Paduke is a little bit of an overlap to the one next to it. But Man, well, that's being board. used. That that overlaps covered in food, so nobody will ever see it. And and so I must have done something right because he came back to me at Christmas last year, and he was like, "Hey, I need another cutting board." I'm like, "What? what? Like, well, what happened to the other one?" He goes, "Oh, no, no, no. This is for the in-laws." I'm like, "Oh, 
Okay, cool. That's that's awesome. All right, so I kept I kept your faith with that cutting board. That's <laughs> Look, good. Not only that, you may have not realized the compliment that was. Yeah, because depending on his relationship, the gift to the in laws says, you know, you're trying to establish this is who I am. I'm right. the kind of man that provides these niceties to your your family member that I'm, I'm married to. Mm-hmm. So that that's the ultimate compliment there. Yeah, I love. I I I, I really do love return customers like i'll i try to take care of everybody you know i i all right look uh, i have a business and no business takes care of everyone equally right but i really do try to take extra good care of my returning customers in fact my shop is probably about 60 percent packed up at this point and ready to go into the new space and my one of my more regular clients messaged me and she's like i i'm doing a closing next week i need a cutting board and I'm like, wait, you, you're doing a closing next week? Like, when next week? This was like Monday. She's like, um, I'm doing closing next Tuesday. I'm like, are you out of your mind? So I, but I made it work. I made yeah. it work. I got her her cutting board done and shipped, and it arrived today. One of my favorite things about being a maker is that last minute gift. You always have something that you can provide. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember last year, Christmas, uh, my wife had some friends come over. We we had lunch or something on the patio, and the husband was saying that they were going to see the in-laws, and he was looking for – she. the in-law really likes docks and dogs, and mm-hmm. they really wanted something with a weenie dog on it or a shirt or a board or something. I was like, oh, we can do that. And he was like, huh? I was like, yeah, we can just go in my shop right now, and I can grab one of these you know, bulk – uh, bamboo cutting boards that I keep on stock for stuff like this. And we can easily either laser engrave a dachshund. We can cut it out on the X carve. You know, we've got a bunch of different options, whatever you want to do. And he was like, are you serious? I was like, yeah. And 12 minutes later, he had his board and couldn't believe it. I was like, Isn't yeah, dude, this is what being a maker is. You know, we, we have to take the dog to the, we want to take the dog somewhere and I can't find her tags. Well, I just come outside on my X on my, uh, Glowforge and make her a new set of tags. Yeah, you, know, you can just do stuff like that. And that's one of the real nice problems that makers have is you can always throw a gift together for someone. It's we we do take for granted the stuff that we're able to do. But man, there is there are times where even I'm going, I'm kind of dumbfounded that I thought of that. Like I had a I had a drawer bottom because my house when they re, when they renovated it, the prior owners renovated it, but they renovated it clearly on a shoestring and i don't fault people for doing that i'm impressed with what they were able to accomplish but they bought everything like prefab from home depot and one of the prefab things was the vanity in the bathroom and there was this drawer bottom and the way these drawers are constructed dean i've never seen this in my life the dado that the bottom sits in was not closed in the back Mm. so the dado the back of the drawer sat above Above the bottom of the drawer and I, I, I don't understand how that works. And what would happen is, so we don't have a medicine cabinet, but we have drawers in the vanity. So all the medicine, all that stuff goes in there. And what would happen is you open and close it a few times, the bottom starts to work its way backwards. And all of a sudden, things are falling in the gap in the front of the drawer. Yep. And one day I was like, Beth goes, we need to solve this or we need to like rip the drawers out and do it over. I wasn't even a woodworker at the time. I'm like, I don't know what the hell to do. And I'm sitting there going, all right, what would, what would stop this? Well, I just need to put some kind of stopper in the back. And then I had the idea. I'm like, Oh, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I went into fusion 360. I modeled an L shaped bracket 
and I 3D printed two of them. And I put them on the back of those drawers and those drawers are not a problem anymore. Yeah. And it's like, you know, but that's a fix. That's like, you, you know, you, we take for granted. It's like, no, I have a, now I have a ton of tools. I would just take it downstairs and I would put a new back on it. That would be the right size. But, you know, we just don't realize how easy things like this are for us. <laughs> we just don't realize it. It's, we take it for, we take a lot of our skills for granted. I, I know I do like, I did some, I did a lot of electrical stuff the last few months as we were getting the house ready to sell, you know, changing light fixtures over and over, you know, changing, changing light switches that were bad, changing outlets out that were a little bit, you know, dodgy. And, you know, I didn't even think about it. It's like, nope, that's what I, that's what we do, right? We, we just do this. We don't, we don't call a guy for that stuff. We call a guy for the big stuff, the big stuff that we don't want to try to accomplish ourselves. So my favorite parts about that story was where you established that you weren't a woodworker, but you easily jumped into fusion and, and designed something and was able to 3d print right. it. And it's like, yeah, we always have something up our sleeves, mm-hmm. but, um, you, you said something else that, you know, we don't, we take for granted. And that's been something I've really tried to focus on the last, you know, two years. I mean, everything, everything in our lives rebooted in March of 2020. Mm-hmm. So something I've really been trying to focus on is just having an appreciation for what you have, um, gratitude about things that you have, the abilities that you have not taken for granted. You know, you see somebody doing something and not looking down on them or, or thinking of them in an ill way, just appreciating either that they're doing this for you or, or you don't have to do this. Or again, the things that you have the capability of, um, you know, I'm getting close to 40 and there's certain things I can't, can't do that I, I could do when I was in my twenties. But I, I'm like, well, but at least I'm smart and I can think and I have access to any tool that I want and materials and, uh, you know, just being grateful for all that stuff. And it's it's really helped with something that goes on with social media is you look and see what everybody else has and you can get jealous or you can think poorly on them because they have access to these great things. And instead, be happy for these people that, you know, not only do they have these great tools, but they're using them and they're getting some use out of them and they're showing us what's capable with these tools. And it's really helped me in social media a lot where at one time I used to look and go, well, they only have this because of that. And now I can look and go, you know, good for them and good for me because I, I can do these things. And there's probably somebody looking at my setup the same way I'm looking at their setup. And it's been a real freeing mindset. I was, I forgot who said it. But somebody said it to me once, and it completely changed my perspective on everything. And it almost gets me a little bit emotional when I think about it because it, you, you know, sometimes you hear like a single line, somebody says something, and it just completely, your mind just clicks. And it's like, I will never think the same way again. And the, I don't remember who it was. I, re, I do remember who I said it to the first time, and I won't call them out on the show, but they'll know when they hear this. Um, we were standing there. I was standing there talking to them in their shop. And, you know, he was like, he's like, you know, I, I'm happy with where I'm at. I'm happy with what I've accomplished. I'm happy with everything that I'm getting done with my life. But there are times where I look at what other people do. And I look at what other people are doing and I'm like, damn, what is he doing that I'm not doing? What it, What's going right for him that I'm not doing? Why, why is this not happening for me the way it's happening for him? And he goes, and sometimes he goes, and as happy as I am and as proud of what I've accomplished as I am, sometimes it's just, it's almost immobilizing. And 
I remembered that was the moment where I remembered hearing this one phrase. But I said to him, I said, well, I'm going to tell you what I heard. And what I heard is this. For every person you look at that way, someone looks at you that way. And when you think about it that way, you know, when you think about, you know, I look at I look at someone like, you know, when Bob and David and Jimmy were talking about, you know, their numbers um, a couple of weeks ago. And like, oh, yeah, we went from 77,000 downloads a week to like 67,000. Or no, they, they were at 77,000 and that was down. And I'm like, I, we, over the course of this podcast have 50,000 downloads. Like, what would I even like, what would I even do? Right. But then I think about how many smaller podcasts, and this is not to crap on smaller shows. Right. But I think of how many smaller podcasts go for years and years and years and never hit 10,000. Right. So it's like, you know, for every person I look at and go, man, I want to achieve that someone's looking at us going, man, I want to achieve that. And, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to do their numbers to be successful. You know, I was, I was telling some, somebody and I were talking about podcasts in general, and I always bring this up because it's astonishing when you think about the numbers, the number of podcasts in Apple's directory at this point is somewhere between 4.4 and 4.6 million, million. There's 4.6 million podcasts in Apple's directory. And when I look at our numbers and I get upset sometimes, I'm like, Jesus, 230? 230 out of 4.6 million. Like, you know, it's you look at 230 and you go, oh, I wouldn't, I'm not even charting, right? We're not even charting. At 230, you're not even charting. Okay, but you're in the top 0.1% of podcasts. Like, and you're you're in a space with like Joe Rogan and, you know, where everybody, where it's a, where it's an attention economy, where you're competing constantly to get eyeballs and attention, and you, yeah, that's where the gratitude comes in, right? I'm not upset that people are doing better than me. I'm just grateful I'm doing as as good as I am. I'm happy. Like I come to this show on Monday nights, and I'm happy. I don't. I'm not going to lie. There's a lot of Mondays where I'm like, oh God, I don't want to do this tonight. <laughs> but every time I get behind the mic, it's like I want to do this. Like I'm, I'm here for it. You know, I'm here for it until it's over. Once it's over, I'm going to bed. But so, <laughs> your friend's story. You know, whenever they sat there and they said, you know, what are they doing that I'm not? Mm-hmm. I also would have pointed out to them that, you know, that's a that's a, a good trait to have the ability to be sure. introspective, and to look out and notice that there are things beyond my scope and now you have something to strive towards right what are they doing that i'm not and how do i reach that but then you have to stop looking at them and look back at yourself and say what do i need to change if that's where i want to be yeah and and that's a healthy way you know that doesn't lead to jealousy it leads to self-improvement I, I, a lot of people, a lot of people that I've, I've heard talk recently are very much in the mindset of eschewing competition where they don't want to talk about competition, but competition is good, right? But here's what the, here's the kind of competition you need to be doing. If you want to compare yourself to other people, that's okay, right? If you want to say, I want to achieve what they've achieved, then that's perfectly fine. There, that you will, com- but you're not competing against them to achieve what they've achieved. You're competing against you today and you yesterday to right. achieve what they've achieved. And somebody that's got seventy-seven thousand downloads a week, right? What are they doing? Well, I, I, I don't really know the secret sauce. I'm not going to sit here and pretend I do. 
But I also know that, you know, having three guys whose YouTube accounts have a million and million plus each, it's very easy to get 77,000 downloads. That's not to say that they don't work on it. That's not to say that they didn't earn it. Of course they earned it. That's how they got there, right? But so that, that's, that's exactly the kind of thing that I go, okay, so then I need to keep expanding my reach. That's the lesson isn't, I will never get there or I will never get there until I'm at a million. The lesson is that everything else I do funnels into this and grows this. That's the lesson. And if I take that away, I can turn that into something actionable. Right. And, you know, you've, you have to look at who you surround yourself with. And those are the people that are going to drive you to either be better or be, you know, content. And you were telling the story earlier about Al, and you also mentioned the discord earlier. And that's how you and I met was through mm -hmm. the discord. And I have, I love the discord and I love many of the people in there. And of course, you know, Austin, the high caliber craftsman and I are, are very good friends now because of the discord. And you were telling the story about Al and that's someone that you could drive to and, and utilize his knowledge there. But through this relationship with somebody that I have respect for and, and think is, you know, an excellent person in their field. Um, I I've got this relationship with Austin and I wanted to tell a story of when we were making our chess pieces and oh, you, man, know, that was you go back and great. listen to Emmett's episode if you're interested <laughs> about the so chess good. pieces. But uh, so Austin made his first. And so I knew where the bar was set and I'm not a machinist. So mm -hmm. I could have gone into the wood. I could have booted up the laser, but I said, okay, there's the guy and he's got the tools and the materials and the experience. And I'm going to make a run at him just because he's planted the flag and I'm going to see if I can reach it. <laughs> so I have a metal lathe and I had a piece of aluminum and I'm going to do some work on this aluminum. I put it in and I had to call Austin at midnight because I so am an amateur and don't know what I'm doing that I overcranked the dial for the top slide on the lathe and I had completely pushed it off the rail. But I have oh. this relationship with a guy that I can call at midnight and go, how do I get this thing back on? Because I don't even know what words to Google. <laughs> like, I'm <laughs> such an amateur at this machine. I don't even know what these things are called or these dials are called or anything. And I'm FaceTiming him so he can look at it. And in two minutes, he had me back up and running and then gave me some good advice on how to accomplish. So here's someone that he knows I'm actively trying to make a piece to put up there with his. But he was still... Inter not only interested, he, he wanted to give me good advice on how to make a nice effect. I was trying to do this brick pattern and he, you know, told, told me that I could do the, uh, this drag technique and it worked out really well. And it, it's through a relationship that I built, uh, through someone that I respect that sets the bar high for me to chase after. And I, I was talking to Morley this morning. Uh, he was kind enough to bring me to the airport after a high caliber camp. And we were talking about, you know, why do we do our own podcast? Or, you know, why am I messing with this metal lathe? Why do we? And I'm a firm believer in the old adage that luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, why do I do this podcast? Because there's a future in this digital age where people who are doing what you and I are doing right now are going to have a leg up because we understand how microphones work. We understand digital compression. We understand, you know, how to edit on a computer, how to put out a product like this. And I don't know, I don't know, but one day an opportunity might come along and I'll be lucky because I have all this experience. Well, I'm not lucky. I know that, you know, we talk about makers or hobby collectors, 
but I'm collecting a certain set of skills to put myself in a position that, you know, one day I'll be able to take advantage of them. And I, I try to do that with my relationships that I build, as well as the hobbies that I get into and, and the type of making that I do. One of my one of my favorite things about the Maker Chess set, Emmett's Maker Chess set, was the fact that every single piece pushed you to do a better piece. Yep. Like I have never been a part of anything where I would have been ashamed to not put a thousand percent into something. Like I've been, I've, I've, I'm, I'll look at something like that and go, I want to contribute. I'll do a good job, but this felt different. This was like, no, these people are bringing it. Like I was, I was unfortunate enough to not get it in, in the first round of pieces that he got. And I'm looking at all the pieces that he gets as he's getting them. And I'm like, Oh geez, I'm screwed. I really have to come up with something interesting. And that's when I'm like, well, I've always wanted to try turning something on a drill. This seems like as good an opportunity as any to try it. And I rewatched Ethan's video where he did his, um, his burnisher that way. And I was like, well, Let's just go for it. Like, what could happen? Unknowing of all the things that I could have gotten wrong doing that and unknowing of all the pitfalls that I was looking at while I was doing this, I just did it. And as after I was done, at least two different people, both of them who know polymer clay really well, both said, you are out of your damn yeah. mind to think that would work. I was like, well, I didn't know if it would work. I just did it. Hey, <laughs> you know, sometimes but, when you don't know what you don't know, it doesn't get in the way. And that's, and, and that's a lesson that is just yeah that's exactly it right like i made a <laughs> i made a cutting board i made a cutting board that everybody is fully convinced is one day just going to spontaneously combust on the counter it's living on because i glued across the grain on the end of the board and there are people that are telling me up and down that this thing is going to explode i'm not saying it's not going to i'm just going to say that that board is now over a year old and there's not even a gap in the wood so what we know and what we just do are two completely different things. All these things that we think we know, they're just sometimes they're just like passed down like oral legend from some source like hundreds of years ago. And it's like, has anyone ever actually tested that theory? Well, <laughs> it, Americans have this infatuation with the best, first place, the only. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't have to be the case. You know, maybe somebody had a bad experience with polymer clay and using aggressive abrasives to shape mm -hmm. it. But just cause they had, it doesn't mean that it's wrong. You know, just right. because somebody makes a cutting board one way, that doesn't mean that's the end all be all ways to make a cutting board. Right. Um, but I wanted to mention on image chess set, something I came away with was we have a lot of friends that are makers at heart, but maybe not content creators at heart. Mm -hmm. And, maybe don't document their work that well. And so their accounts kind of fall under the radar, but then we come together for something like that and they put out a piece and you go, man, how talented is this person mm -hmm. and extremely competent and capable when they get in the shop, they just don't share it with the world enough. And th that doesn't mean anything one way or the other, but there were a few pieces that came out that really reminded me like, look, these people that you interact with, they've all got something to offer you. Um, I'm, I'm thinking specifically of uh, Jacob's 
knight that he hand carved. <laughs> Freaking insane. And I don't know how to carve wood. I've, I've never tried. But <laughs> when he put that piece up, I was like, you know, just because he's not posting everything doesn't mean that he's not out there getting better and better and better. And that piece just was a reminder that this guy's got some talent. What I loved about what I loved about him was the horror in all of our voices when he's like, "Yeah, I'm redoing <laughs> I'm gonna this. Do it again. Yeah. Wait, you're gonna oh what? God. No. What are you out of your freaking? No, you're not. No, stop. And then he redid, and it's like, "Oh wow, that's way better. <laughs> like, okay, I'll allow it, but you're insane." <laughs> I actually had one more tie-in with the, the Emmett um, piece, if you'd indulge me. Of course. Um, so I was. It's if you didn't know, I have my own podcast with Austin and, and Christy Steinman of uh, Twisted Twine Woodworking, and um, we interviewed Emmett the same week that Vincent and Ethan Complete, interviewed. Him. By the way, I booked. I just want you to know, I booked him like two weeks in advance for that. I just want to point that out. Yeah. Okay. So we interviewed him. On, well, it, it's fine. It's it's not a big deal. <laughs> we interviewed him on a Tuesday, um, and then y'all interviewed him the next week. But we don't release until the mm-hmm. following week. So the episodes come out back to back, and. Uh, I'm listening to his just to see, you know, this is, I'm, I'm trying to, what's my goal, you know, because we make is the target. What do I need to do to get better? And I'm already putting some of those things into practice tonight. Uh, and I'll, you'll have to figure them out on your own. I'm not going to tell you what, I'm, <laughs> how, what parts of Vincent's identity I'm stealing, but I'm cutting the grass, listening to y'all interview a guy that I just interviewed. And I turn the corner and go, Jesus, what a great idea Emmett had on this. Why haven't you done anything like that? Mm. And the, in that moment, listening to your podcast while cutting the grass was when I thought up um, this maker toy drive that I'm, I'm trying to put together. I love this idea, by the way. I, I loved it as it was coming together. One of, the, one, one of the best parts of being in the Discord is that when y'all have ideas, they kind of get hit into that group before they're public. Yep. And I just sit there going... This is awesome. I can't wait to see what comes of this. So why don't you tell everybody a little bit about what you have planned and what you're putting together? Because um, the idea for those of you, just basic bottom line, the idea is we are trying to bankrupt Dean. That's what we're trying to do here. So um, why don't you tell everybody how we're trying to bankrupt you? Yeah. And and so exactly what you said happened is what happened. So I stopped the lawnmower and I pull out my phone. I go in the discord and I type up the idea just to float it, see what people think. And it got positive feedback. So I said, okay, we're doing it. So on September 15th, I made a post that, um, you know, my wife and I have always done Toys for Tots. Uh, my work always got list of kids to sponsor. And we would always grab two or three and go shopping and buy them toys. Well, with 2020, we didn't do that at work. And it, it kind of felt wrong. And so I told her, I said, no matter what, I want to make sure we do something this year. And so when I thought of this, I said, well, let's just take the wild card out. I don't need work to buy toys for kids. I can do this on my own, but let's try to get my friends and get people involved and, and really stir up some excitement. And so that's what helped me come up to the maker, um, maker toy drive challenge. So for every maker that makes and sends me an ornament for the shop, for a shop tree, I'm going to make, I'm going to donate a toy. 20 makers send me ornaments. I'll make do 20 toys, 50 makers. I'll buy 50 toys. And there's no criteria on the ornament contribution, except that you have to make it. Don't go buy something from the store and ship me that think, you know, ornament size, but it doesn't need to be anything fancy. It can be wood. It can be leather, paper, plastic. Uh, Your kids could draw something. I mean, anything's fine. It just needs to come from your hands and your mind and your heart. 
Um, and then I'm asking, you know, one ornament per maker, don't send me 50. And then I'm, you know, really in financial <laughs> you know, dire situation. No, we have to do the death by a thousand cuts here. Right, <laughs> right. I need a thousand people to really upset my, uh, my holidays. But, um, if you send me an ornament, I'm, I make a commitment that I'm going to post your ornament in my stories. I'm going to add it to a highlight that I keep going and I'm going to update people that, Hey, I got this ornament in and these are the toys I bought for that ornament. Um, we've got a hashtag, hashtag maker toy drive, all one word, um, where if you follow that, you can keep up with the progress. Um, I'm going to go. So I went, started the original post on nine 15 and I'm going to go through 12 15 because I believe the cutoff for my local toys for tots is 12 18. Okay. And if you send me an ornament, I'm going to spend some money. I promise that. That's great. I love, I love this idea. I love that. I love that of all the things, this community, one of the things I love about this community and, you know, um, it, it makes me think also about last year with, um, Lindsay and her social justice charity raffle and, mm. you know, Emmett and the maker chess set and you with the maker toy drive. And it's just, there's so many great causes and people just wanting to do a little bit of good. Right. And sometimes, you know, sometimes politics comes into it sometimes, whatever, but I think, what we've all realized, especially in the last couple of years, is that doing a little bit of good is m- the most important thing. And I, I, I always wanted to contribute in things like this, but I was never part of a community that was doing it. So I didn't know how to get involved. And I feel like, you know, thankfully, Lindsay doing Lindsay doing the first one that I actually got involved in, you know, me giving me giving her some stuff for her that she could raffle away. It was just like such a big deal for me. Like, Oh wow. Somebody wanted my work enough. And it, it, it's a bit of a drug. Like you, you realize like, Oh wow. All I have to do is what I do anyway. And good things are going to happen from it. Like, that's just an amazing feeling. Like that is a tangible way to turn your passion into something good for everybody. Let me tell you a secret and don't tell anybody. This stays between us. Um, every single person that has done a giveaway, you know, a thousand, five thousand giveaway, if they reach out, I always give them a stamp every time. And mm. some of them, if I if I've engaged with them other times and I see they have a giveaway coming up, I reach out. Um, because I want I want people to know, you know, we always talk about you never know who's having a bad day or who could just use a pick me up. And I want you to know that if you're on Instagram and you see something and want to engage with me, it's a safe place. Like Mm -hmm. you're never going to write me and I bite your head off or I ignore you or I'm demonstrative towards you. If you write me and have a question, if you write me and say, tell me every single step of this that you do, I'm going to write you back every single step of what I do, because I want you to know that we're family in making and we're family in being creative and being passionate and trying to do something. And, if that leads to someone down the road, like Lindsay led to you, um, you know, getting involved. And then that probably led to someone else getting involved. I'm getting involved because of something Emmett did. And it's, it just builds. It's like a snowball effect. And so look, if you're having a bad day and you just want to smile or want to joke or want to talk about a project, know that the, every maker I've come across is, has been just so positive and, and nice and kind. And I want to repay that to anybody who needs it. I feel like that's something that anyone can do right it's it's the pay it forward mentality you know one of my one of my 
big philosophies since I started really getting more engaged with the community. Because obviously when you're a maker, you start as a maker and then you become part of the community as you make more because you're looking to find kinship with people who do what you do. And one of the most important things for me is keeping the perspective that I didn't learn this on my own. Therefore, the knowledge isn't mine to keep to myself. Yeah, that's, and I like that. If, if it's something that I know how to do, and you ask me how, I will tell you every st- I will bore you with details to, to a level where you're going to be like, Jesus, shut up, dude. I don't care. All right, we know. You know you're going you're gonna to be shutting me up because I'm going to give you every bit of knowledge I've learned or experienced because I feel like that's how I got where I am. And you know, I'm, I'm a small fish, and I readily admit it. I'm perfectly fine being a small fish. I have no problem with that. But I also know that I have a lot of knowledge that a lot of people don't have. And if somebody asks me for it, I am here to give it to you. Um, one of the things I've been doing is experimenting with different social media accounts and growing them and how to grow them and how to organically grow them. Not how to grow them by buying followers, not how oh, to grow God. them by doing this. I'll follow 5,000 people in the hopes that 2,000 follow me back. I try not to do any of that. I have, I've been working on that, but people have asked me because I've told a couple of people that I'm working on this process. Uh, I had a long conversation. Was it last Friday? Yeah, it was last Friday. I had a long conversation with two friends on a Zoom call, and there I was telling them what I was doing. I was like, I have it down to like four or five things that I've done on two different social media platforms, and it's working on both. And I think this is the way to do this. And it's not a hack. It's not a trick. It it just works, right? Now, I've been putting in a lot of work to figure it out. Do you think I feel bad about sharing it with other people? No, I want everyone to know how to do this. I want everyone to know. I I want the world to know. I want someone to go, oh, this is how it's done. Okay, I can do that. And then just go out and just do it. I, I feel like when somebody does something that you teach them, that's, you know, I, most of us, we, let's be honest, the average person doesn't really have a legacy. They right. just don't, right? When you're gone from the earth, maybe your kids will think of some of the things that you did. Hopefully, maybe your grandkids. Most people, your memory ends with your grandkids, unless you're an exceptional person who did some famous things, right? But, Maybe your legacy isn't necessarily down your bloodline. Maybe it's down your teaching line. The things that you've taught other people that they now know how to do that they teach to other people. You know, all the techniques that we've learned over the years are things that people handed down for generations. Maybe that's that's our legacy. Even if it doesn't have our name attached to it, what we teach just goes on and on and on after we're gone. And if the only thing people learn from me is the proper way to make a cutting board. And I'm okay with that because most people leave this earth and never leave anything behind other than ashes. No, I like that so much. And it's a good way to think about it. And, you know, and if none of that works out, you can always rob a bank in your nineties. Yeah, basically. Why not? Because, Hey, how long are you going to, how long are you going to be in jail? (laughs) (laughs) One of the things I, I always talk about, you know, one of the things you said, and it, it stuck with me. And it hit me right in the gut. And I've talked, about, I think I talked about it either last week or the week before, but you said something to me a couple of weeks ago. And it just, it rang in my head 
like the church bells at Notre Dame. And you said, you know, because I was talking about my new shop and I said, I can't believe that, you know, my, my day job was believed in me so much that they were willing to give me space to have my woodworking shop at the day job. Like they have no reason to do this. None at all. Really, they don't. I mean, it's just an act of just unmitigated kindness, what they've done for me. And you said, and I cannot get this out of my head. And every time I look at that room, because I'm about to start really moving into it now. Every time I look at that room, I hear your, in your voice, I saw what you wrote. I see what you wrote in the discord when you said that you've put a lot of work into it and people see it and you've built something that people want to be a part of. And it just, it hit me. It still hits me. Every time I think about it, it hits me because I realized when you said that, that I wasn't just tinkering around in my basement. I wasn't just, you know, making an occasional thing for an occasional customer. I, I was doing something that people respect. And that's a crazy feeling because I'm just doing what I love. But then somebody who has no connection to it looks at it and goes, we have a means to help this guy get get to where he needs to be. Let's, let's, let's do what we can for him. Felt a little but lucky, didn't it? It really, you know, it really did. It really did. But the way you put it, you know, I was looking at it going, oh, this is really cool of them. And I really appreciate it. And you kind of just kind of swooped in. It's like, yeah, they want to be a part of what you're doing because they see the work that you're putting into it. And I'm like, damn, Vince, I never looked every, at it that way. For every maker that's had this conversation, how do you come up with your pricing? How do you decide what to charge for something? For every maker that's had that conversation, they're not talking about the product. They're right. not talking about the price. They're talking about how do they value themselves? Mm -hmm. you know, what, how do I justify charging money for something that I made? And it's because they just don't see the value in themselves. And so when you had that, and you were showing gratitude, but it, it, it did to me, it felt like you were coming off of what a fortunate situation that these people are giving me this opportunity. And I'm so grateful for this. And there's nothing wrong with, again, being you know, having gratitude towards that. But I felt you needed to be reminded of your value that that's what they're buying into is the value of what Vincent Ferrari is that, mm -hmm. you know, you've, you've put those products out. And I hope anybody listening who has ever had the conversation with what do I charge for this? You need to understand that you're not asking about the cutting board or whatever trinket you made. You're asking about how do I value my time? How do I value my hands? What makes the sterling silver ring you made worth less than uh, we have Mignon Faget down here um, or uh, James Avery in, in Texas? I, I don't know what it is in your state, but I'm sure there's some jewelry store selling the same silver ring you made in your basement. And why do they get to charge $150 for it or $300 for it and you don't? Mm. The, the silver is worth the same. They, right. they give you the same amount when they melt it down. It's all <laughs> about finding the value in yourself and believing that the products that you're putting out, it, it, it has some value in it. And whenever you can recognize that and, and have value in yourself, then you'll really move on to the next level.
And and it's it's interesting because at the same time, you know, Americans have this this reputation. And I'm sorry to the my our international listeners here, and this might apply to you, it might not. But Americans have a reputation of being cocky, arrogant, and having you know massive swagger. And yet, in this community, I see the literal opposite. Oh, it's like, yeah, it's like I don't, I shouldn't be charging that much. Well, no, you should actually be charging more. I I I won't say who it is, but I I bumped into a friend. I was looking at his prices. I'm like, you're not charging enough. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm happy with what I'm charging. I'm like, okay. I'm, I, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and tell you how to price your goods. I'm just telling you that for the quality of what you're putting out there, you're not charging enough. And, you know, and it's, it's always this humility that we have that, you know, we, when somebody says we do something nice, like, oh, it's just, you know, it's just a cutting board. No, no, well, no, okay, but that person that's telling you this is really beautiful probably has no idea how to make one. You're doing essentially magic for them. You know, Vincent, you, if we had a convenience store and we sold sodas mm-hmm. and a six pack of soda costs $3 just to keep things easy, you know, 50 cents a can. Mm-hmm. And I sold sodas for 55 cents and the guy across the street sells them for 75 cents. And, you know, in your mind, you go, well, well I'm going to sell more because I'm at a much lower price and people are going to come in because they get a real value over here. Well, what's going to happen is you've been paying 50 cents per soda, not taking into account your overhead, your your mortgage, mm-hmm. your employees, uh, the utility bill and the cooler that keeps them cool, the shelf space, the dirt, the delivery guy tracks in on the mat that the uniform companies come and pick up and launder. That soda didn't cost you 50 cents. It cost you 65. That's why the guy across the street is charging 75. And that's why in two years you're out of business, even though you had the best price in town on soda, Mm. you can't give things away and expect sustainability. It's just, it's not a fact. You have to show value. Whenever I started doing stamps, the first stamp I gave the first 10 away to practice. And mm-hmm. then the next ones, the, f- the next people that asked, I gave everyone a different price and I kept track of who came back and bought and who didn't. And everybody that I told $25, not a single one of those people bought. And every person I said 35 or 40, every single one of those people bought. And the reason was because the $25 people just didn't see the value in the product. Right. They weren't worried about the deal. They came to me because they wanted they wanted something. Right. And then whenever I gave them the low price, they didn't go, oh, wow, what a great bargain. What they thought was, what a pile of junk. If I'm going to spend that, I might as well go on you know, www.stamps, whatever, and buy it from China. But right. the people I, that I said I want an artisanal stamp. <laughs> yeah, that, right. The guy that I told $40, oh, he bought it and was happy and came back and bought another one because when it was actually in his hands, it was like, wow, this is what $40 buys. Right. It's hard to convey that. It's hard to convey that sometimes, especially, and that's where the, that's where like this over humility that people have tends to really hurt them because they're, someone's coming to you to make something, they're trusting you're going to do it and that you're going to do it well and that it's going to be worth the money that they're paying for it. And if they tell you, oh, this is beautiful and your answer is, it's just a cutting board, they're going to go, Oh, well, this, all right, yeah, it's just a cutting board. I can get just a cutting board from anybody. Right. No, <laughs> like I I play up things that I do for people. Like it's like, oh, yeah, you know, you get one of Ben's cans of bomb in every single order. You get cutting, but I had a guy order a cutting. He goes, I've never had a really good cutting board before. I'm like, okay. He goes, I don't even know what to do. Like, what do I buy? How do I take care of it? I'm like, my dude, whenever you get a board from me, it comes with a can of bomb. And care instructions. You don't have to do anything. That board is good for the next 20 years. Just do what the instructions say and use the stuff in the can. 
Have and you goes, met Ben in person, Mick for Life Workshop? I have not met him in person yet. That was one of the guys. So I, I, I'm so sorry to cut your story off. No, but, it's fine. Uh, you know, obviously we had high caliber camp last week and I kind of glazed over because I don't know if it's my place to discuss. Everybody who went there needs to post about it. But uh, one of the big takeaways was every single person I met, they were exactly who I thought they were going to be. Mm-hmm. And Ben was an absolute pleasure to meet. He was ex- exactly who you'd want to be. He was a guy you could spend the weekend with fishing, a guy you could spend the weekend with in the wood shop. He was a, a genuine guy. And I got a can of his wood balm. That was a gift. We Everybody brought gifts. And that was the gift he brought for everybody and uh, among some other little things. But uh, I was so excited. And we made sure everybody in the room knew that as soon as they used theirs, if they needed more, they could go to Vincent Ferrari's website and order it. From <laughs> it's funny because when Ben was on, he actually said that people could order it from me. And I'm like, Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Order from me. Okay, cool. I love, I love, so when I saw that he was making it, I, the the first thing I said to him was like, I was like, Hey, I want to, I want to include your bomb with my boards for my customers. Cause I didn't see anyone doing this. Like it wasn't a matter of, it wasn't a matter of, Oh, this would just be something cool to do. I felt like this would be a unique value proposition. So when I tell someone, hey, you're buying a cutting board for $160, $180, you know, if you're buying a board for $180, you're not going to have to worry about how to take care of it because I'm going to give you what you need to take care yeah. of it. And I tell I told Ben, I'm like, hey, I want to start including this. Let's work out a price and I'll buy it. I'll buy it like wholesale. I'll buy it in bulk from you. And I'm now, I think I'm now on my third order of his stuff it's a good it, value add it's a fantastic and and look it makes my product more attractive it doesn't cut into my margins very far it puts ben's name in front of people which is good for him you know if they need more of the bomb they're going to order it from me and i will in turn restock my supply from him you know it's it works out really good he makes this stuff i know he makes it relatively cheaply and i give it to my customers but the value and you know this is where value and price are completely disconnected my customer gets that can it costs them nothing right my customer isn't paying for that i'm paying for it out of my margin but when my customer gets it the the experience of having everything you need to take care of your brand new high-end cutting board right out of the box instead of having to go to home depot and get butcher block conditioner well, oh, and you've separated on. your product from the one on the shelf because even mm-hmm. if they buy it at Home Depot, that board is by itself. Right. Or if they buy it from wherever, that board is by itself. Yep. You're, you're giving them it's it's not the same now. You sold them a package, mm-hmm. a board and care, you know, a board and conditioner. Uh, I've told you this before. I was listening to one of your episodes, and you know, we're talking about packaging. I, I know you really love packaging, and you talked about the linen bags you did for jewelry. And mm-hmm. from that point forward, I started buying the linen bags. And that's what my stamps would come in. And then I was thinking about it. I have pretty good margins on the stamps. I, I don't mind saying that. And it's it, it's nothing. I'm not going to quit my day job to be a stamp maker. It's something I do to support my bourbon habit. But um, <laughs> I was like, you know what? I'm going to spend a little more money on the packaging for the stamps. Mm-hmm. And so I bought one of those um, label printers, you know, the thermal printers, and so I bought a box that matched the printer. So this is way bigger than what a stamp is or what I ever envisioned shipping a stamp in. 
But then I was like, you know what? I'm going to make my own stamps and I'm going to stamp every panel of this box. And now I have a custom box. So when you order a stamp from me, it's in a white box and it's got my logo on it and it's got made in Texas and, and all these, uh, I always say modify everything. It's got that on one side. And when you open it up, it has a thank you message on the inside of the box. And then inside I've got my linen bag and it's like all those things cut into my margin, but <laughs> that $3 I spent on the bag box ink and everything else makes the value so much greater. It's no longer a stamp you could just get anywhere. This is, it's an entire experience. And um, I, I'm, it makes me so happy. I get more excited about packaging the things than I do about making them nowadays. Oh, 100%. I, when, I started doing, when I started doing jewelry as something to sell, um, one of the first, one of the, well, not really one of the first, but one of the first things that really popped off where people were buying a lot of them was when I started doing malas, the beaded bracelets. And I was very excited about doing these, but I wanted to know how people were what they looked like from people that were making other people that were making them and how they were shipping them. Cause I wanted to see what I was up against. And mm-hmm. I, I always want to try to give the most premium experience I can reasonably do and keep my margins decent on it. So I started looking and there was this one person who my best friend ordered a bunch of malas from. I think she probably has about 15 to 20. I'm not even kidding. She's, she collects them. So every once in a while, she'll tell me stones that she needs and a size, and I'll just make her a new one, which is fine. I love that. But she had a bunch from this woman. I'm like, can the next time I'm over, can you just show me, you know, give me an idea of what she sells? And she goes, oh, yeah, no problem. So she gave me one that had broken and needed to be restrung. And I look, and I could see the knot, which to me is like I could feel my chest tighten as I looked at it. But then another one, like she's like, and this is how she ships them. And it was in like um a clear styrene bag. And I'm like, no way. Like that, that's how she ships them. She goes, yeah. I said, and what does she charge for him? And she charges like $32 a bracelet. I'm in a like, clear bag. In a clear plastic bag. Now I charge $20 a bracelet and I'm like, okay, I need to figure out the right way to ship these. Cause I want mine to stand out. So I'm like, all right, what am I going to do? So I go on Amazon and I just start searching for, jewelry gift boxes jewelry and i find this one company called the display guys and that's all they sell is is basically crafter level retail packaging so like jewelry boxes i buy and i'm like oh but they're just black and i'm like well wait a minute why don't i just put my sticker on them and i got the boxes i put my sticker on the top and i put a mala in it and the next one she got she got and she goes where did you get your packaging done this looks so professional and i'm like I did it myself and it cost me about a dollar. Yep. And you're still getting the bracelet for $20. So a mala costs me, you know, beads, string, box, sticker cost me about, and I'm not even exaggerating this, it probably cost me about $3.20 and I sell them for 20. Right? Does that mean I'm a crook? Maybe it does. No. But, but, but look what you're getting. <laughs> like you're hell take the sticker off and reuse the box for a gift for yourself. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's, but it's a premium. I wanted to give people a premium experience so that when I charge, see, I don't feel right charging $32 for one. I'm okay with charging 20 knowing my margins, but I'm also okay charging 20 because I know that when you buy one from me, there's an experience attached to it. It's like Apple, right? 
when you that open was, up Apple was exactly who I was thinking about. When you open up an iPad, it's it's the most simple box in the world, but that cardboard car that cardboard insert fits exactly. There is no slop in that design. Everything in that box fits in that box tight. Take an iPad box and shake it. It doesn't rattle because there's nothing in it to rattle. Everything is tied down, stuffed tightly, arranged in such a way. And when I look at that, I'm like, I may not be able to achieve Apple-level packaging, but I can definitely do better than some of the stuff. I've ordered stuff from Etsy just to see how people package stuff because I, I feel like that's competitive research. And as far as being a business owner, that's something everyone should be doing. You should always be doing competitive research. What are your competitors offering? Even if you don't feel like you're competing with them, look at where the bar is and try to figure out a way to be higher than that bar. And that's what I did. And I'm like, oh, you guys are just giving out basically plastic bags with your stuff and it will screw that. I'm not doing that. you know. And I see like the packaging that people are doing now and I know that some of the people I see it from have ordered from me. And I'm like, good. You guys are paying attention. Good. <laughs> because I've seen, you know, it's funny when you started doing the linen bags. I'm like, I, I really appreciate that. Actually, Bernie um, works by Solo. His, um, his um, the fidget spinner that he made, mm-hmm. the sprocket, he used that technique also to make his, make his packaging. I had several people reach out after they got the stamp. Would you tell me the link for these bags? I'm like, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I want you to use my stamp to stamp it. And when you (laughs) need a bigger bag, you buy a bigger stamp from me and you can stamp those too. (laughs) It's it's the easiest way. It makes such a nice impression. Like I, I, I feel bad for people that get these like plastic bags of their jewel. Like you ordered a $30 bracelet and it came in a plastic bag and the knot on it is visible. Like didn't even... Like, okay, I know that on these bracelets they flex and they move and the knot's going to pop out and you're going to see it from time to time. That's normal, right? But if I'm shipping it, the first experience you have when you open that box should never be see that knot. I don't give a damn what you got to do. You tuck the damn knot into one of the beads. If it moves while the person has it, that's normal. But if you ship it that way, it just means you weren't paying enough attention yeah. when you packaged it. So you're sloppy with your your bracelet. You're sloppy with how you package it. And then you overcharge for it. I can do better. Yep. I can do better. And that was my motivation to go, I'm just going to do this my way because I can do this better than they do. So let's... um. I didn't realize what time was, boy. This is, I knew this conversation was going to go like one was going to be one of those. Oh wow, look at the time! But oh wow, look at the time! So um, I think it's time for our things of the week, Dean. It is, and and I'll tell you what I told you before we started. I'm you have to indulge me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to do two like Ethan normally does. I'll just do one, <laughs> but it, it'll be a long one. So if if you follow me, then you know uh, I participated in the mallet challenge. It's put on by the builders challenge. And more than just participate in their competition, I threw the gauntlet down at my cohort, Austin. Uh, He and I were going to make mallets, and we were going to have a vote off on who made the best mallet. So, you know, doing like I normally do, I made six because (laughs) I'd never made a mallet before. Why would I go up against the high caliber craftsman on my first mallet? So I made six of them. And I posted photos of him and a guy that I knew from back home. We, we went to high school together and, and he's gotten into woodwork and he's been slowly upgrading his tools. He, he sent me a private message and said, man, I, I really want one of these. And my normal response is, well, make it yourself. 
um, and I'll tell you everything you need, but you need to make it yourself. Mm -hmm. But instead, I said, you know what? I'm going to send this guy the mallet he wants because he he was always a good person. And I'm going to throw him this bone because I know how exciting it would be to me if someone sent me something like that. All right. Three hours after I put the mallet in the box and send it in the mail, I get a direct message from someone that I've never had any correspondence with before. Uh, I had gone on clamp maybe two months ago and I, I use this guy as my clamp mendation and he's going to be my thing of the week this week because of what happened next. He sends me a DM and he says, Hey Dean, recently I've been making a select few mallets as a token of my appreciation for the folks who in my mind went above and beyond to share my original mallets. And I'd like to send one to you if you're cool with that. And my jaw hit the floor. <laughs> the guy's account is Birch told design build. Um, it's all one word. And I'm sure Vincent will take care of that in the show notes. But mm-hmm. Nick over there, he's a um, he's a designer and a, a craftsman in the Chicago area. And I go to his page and the stuff he makes is insane. So insane, in fact, that he won the mallet challenge. He won the <laughs> real deal mallet challenge <laughs> in the finest category. And the people he's sending these mallets to are gigantic accounts, huge people, Um Blacktail Studios was one. Annie of Annie's Woodworks was one. And then there's little old me. And in the mail, I sent you a picture of it. It's in the Discord link. It's utterly I'm ridiculous. Sure you <laughs> this thing is unbelievable. And I asked him, I said, look, as soon as it came in, I said, I'm going on because we make in two weeks. Do not post this mallet because I'm going to tell the people about it on there. And then you've got to go to this man's page to see this mallet on Wednesday. Um, he told me it is... Uh, figured bird's eyed maple handle and his style is he has a three axis cnc machine so say what you want about the machine does whatever i can't even wrap my mind around programming <laughs> a three axis cnc carb to do it's like a quilted or a tufted furniture looks, look yeah it looks like a tufted cushion this oh is it is ridiculous. unbelievable in the hand i mean just the quality how do you sand that I mean, the finish on this thing is unbelievable. So it's figured bird's eye maple for the handle, Brazilian ebony head with maple burl inlays, milled brass transition, and an Indian ebony wedge. And then it's a dead blow mallet. So when you shake it, it, it you hear the, the pellets rattle around. And this thing is a work of art. So, you know, n- not as soon as I send one of my prize six amateur mallets out, do I get a work of art in return? And it was just one of these humbling the universe comes full circle and just extremely grateful that he thought of me in that capacity and sent me this thing. And I'm going to say one other thing. I thought about you specifically because I know you like pass- packaging. The packaging is unbelievable. It, he made his own box. The mallet was sent over in a hand cut foam box that he made his own straps and the mallet is in perfect piece of foam that couldn't have gotten damaged. The box was the exact diameter it needed to be. He's got his logo on the outside. So of course I said, I'll take a mallet on one condition. I need your mailing address. So I can send you some stamps. And uh, I shipped him a few stamps, different sizes of his logo. And I came out way ahead on that trade. I promise you. This is it's, it's stunning. It it's it. So I got to ask you a question. Are you annoyed that it's this nice because now you can't use it as a mallet? <laughs> no. And I'm telling you what else. I have to use it as a mallet um, because it, it would be doing a disservice. I, I don't mm. think he sent it to me to be a showpiece. So I'm going to come up with a project here in the near future that's going to have some kind of joinery that needs to be uh, maneuvered into position. And I know the mallet I'm going to grab to do it. 
Wow. Uh, on a side note, when you said it's too nice. So if, if you check out my account, you can see that, you know, Austin and I went head to head and the mallet he made was unbelievable. I mean, mm-hmm. we're talking about the high caliber craftsman, but it's mm-hmm. a copper head and copper is very soft. So when we were at high caliber camp this weekend, I made a, it a point to go grab this second place mallet and use it uh, to, to hammer some stuff in. And the first strike I went, Oh no, I put a big old gash in the copper head of this mallet. Cause I just did not think about, you know, the density difference, hammering in some metal with this, uh, this piece of mm. copper. And he just threw his hands up and was like, well, we can't give you nothing nice, but if you give it to <laughs> me, it's getting used. So he, it was, I was, I was so enjoying the smack talk between the two of you. Um, it was just, it was so crazy, like watching you two just go at each other, just constantly going at each other about these mallets. And yeah, it, and was, it, it comes so from a funny. place of, you know, extreme respect. Uh, I have, you know, he's become one of my best friends quickly. And um, if you would indulge me, I, I just quick shout out to everyone that came out to High Caliber Camp. Um, I got to meet Scott Orm for the first time, Daddy Yourself, and his son Tyler were there. Uh, Justin Ofler, Bear Make It, was there. And it's true to character, uh, wore orange every day. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking about making him a, a yellow shirt that says, aren't you glad I didn't say banana or something of that nature. Just got to get some <laughs> other colors in his dress. Um, then, of course, myself and Austin, um, Jacob and Jade from Other Dog Designs were there. Uh, Marion from the Creative Ward was there. Uh, Devin from 292 was there. Tony Langer was there. Uh, Grant Alexander was there. Morley Kurt was there. Uh, Jacob Griffin was there. And of course, Ben was there. And uh, everybody was just, uh, again, a blast to be around. And it, it really made for a great weekend that just period on that weekend sentence is this evening with you. So, oh, yeah, it's it's so funny because all the uh, all the upheaval that's going on right now is like this is just not a good time. And it's also funny because I actually was talking to Keith, who's one of the people that puts together um, Maker Camp in the Catskills. Mm-hmm. And he's like, are you coming? I'm like, I, I, I can't. I just, I can't make it. And I felt bad saying no. It's like, I know, I know. I always say next year is like WorkbenchCon next year. I actually might be able to make WorkbenchCon next year. I know that the ticket prices are exorbitant, but there is nothing better the closest thing to a maker event that I've had in the last, I don't know, year and a half was um, 4th of July at Jimmy's. And, you know, getting to hang out with Jimmy and all the people that went up there and Dave Bauer and Keith Decent, you know, and Al came up for a little while. You know, it was it was so cool. Like, people I know and just being able to just hang out with them, you know, mm-hmm. just to talk, just be a, I, I don't want to say a, just a bunch of guys because it wasn't just guys that were there. But, you know, just a bunch of dudes just talking about stuff like oh you know like um jeremy brought his um volkswagen truck and they worked on him and a couple of people worked on it for almost the entire time we were at jimmy's and at one point at one point one of the guys that came after jeremy left before i even got to meet who the person was and uh, jeremy was telling me he goes I was talking to him and he goes, I, I told him, he said, I'm sorry you worked on my truck the whole time. And he said, this was the best day of my life. I've never had so much fun. Thank you so much for bringing your truck. And it's like, this is the kind of people we hang out with. Like I would be like, Oh man, they had a barbecue and go-karts and hanging out and beers. And you worked on a truck all afternoon and we all had a good time. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) But 
Ah, that's great. I, I high caliber camp. The pictures look really good. You guys look like you were having the best time ever. Um, you had your signature coveralls, which was pretty awesome. <laughs> um, I had oh, to hem those. The, uh, those were thirty eight shorts, and I still had to hem them. <laughs> it's great. I love. I love the running joke. It's like you have no idea how short I am. Yeah. And then you look at the group picture, and it's like, oh wow, you really are short. <laughs> I am, and I'm also the same size as half the people in the group. <laughs> I know, and that was the other thing. Like, you weren't like bo- head and shoulders below people either. It was like, oh, okay, so it's a bunch of shorties. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, I think they thought I was going to hop out of a gold pot or something. <laughs> God, oh man, you guys, but you guys look like you were having a great time. And I'll have um, Birch, uh, Birch told design. Um, I'll have his link in the I this this. You're, are you going to put pictures of this? I'm assuming you on, are going to put Wednesday. pictures. Right? So in conjunction with your podcast coming out is when I'll okay. put the pictures. All right, good. Because then I want to I want to post pictures thing because I don't think people can appreciate that this thing literally looks like a tufted cushion, but it's made out of wood. It's mind blowing. Um, we will definitely have those links in the show notes. People are going to want to see that. Um, my thing of the week is is a video that I think if you have a cricket maker you'll be really interested in it. I'm talking to you, Ethan. But even if you don't have a Cricut Maker, I just want you to see this video because it shows you a way to use a tool that I promise you, you probably haven't thought of. Angie Holden has one of my favorite YouTube channels. She does almost exclusively Cricut projects. And one of the things I love about her channel and her projects is that she is not afraid to do things that you wouldn't think your cricket can do. And a couple of weeks ago, she took the Impress Art um, bracelet blanks that you get from Michaels, and she showed how to engrave those. And I was blown away. I'm like, wait a minute, I didn't know you could engrave those in the cricket. I know. And as if to show off, <laughs> this week she made metal ring dishes with Impress Art supplies and the cricket, and she engraved all of them. And the project is. It's so amazing because it's not just a cool project, but she also does an excellent job of explaining the how and the why. Her videos, if you want to learn how to do something, watch her videos. In fact, we were talking on the Discord about weeding boxes. I was trying to explain what a weeding box was. I was like, wait, you know what? Hold on a second. And I found her video. I was like, here, watch this. Now you'll understand what a weeding box is. And by the way, if you have a Cricut or a Silhouette or any of the other cutting machines, Learn what weeding boxes are. Love what weeding boxes are. They will save you an enormous amount of time. Just trust me on that. But yeah, she's the video was just ridiculous. She's super duper talented. And she shows you step by step how to make metal stuff on the cricket. And it's an easy process. And it's her usual quality of video. So definitely check out her channel. But that video in particular, if you haven't already. You sent me the link before we met so I, I could see the project and I facepalmed my forehead right then because <laughs> I can't count the number of times I've needed a metal plate and mm-hmm. I do the the technique where I well, I have a expensive laser. So I have the laserable ink that you spray on something, run mm-hmm. it through the laser and then wash it off. And it looks okay. It looks passable. But whenever I saw her take the, the ink after and color in the engraving and then wipe mm-hmm. it away... It's like, oh my God, that looks so good. I'm doing one this week, I promise you. Yeah, it's this is this is a great project. I just think this is a great project. Um 
what I love what I love about it is that it's an unexpected use of something like people associate. And one of the things I'm learning, the more I use the cricket, the more I'm learning it can do. I'm really undervaluing what it can do. Even the one I have, I'm probably using about 50% of its potential. And like the wall art that I made for my office over the weekend was me going, all right, I'm going to start using this machine and really getting comfortable doing cool stuff with it. And it's a powerful freaking machine. I know it's a craft level machine, but it's something that I, I was going to make the cricket my thing of the week because I love it so much. And today, as we record this, is my three-year anniversary of owning it. I got an email today. It's funny. I had the picture in like – I have a thing for, on my OneDrive that acts like time hop, so it just shows me pictures on this day X number of years ago all the way back on my phone. Well, today was the three-year anniversary of me doing my first test cut with my Cricut. And I'm like, how appropriate that I'm doing a thing of the week that is Cricut-related – three years to the day after I got mine. So it's a great uh, machine. My uh, bespoke coveralls that was infusible ink cut on the cricket is how I put my logo on the back. Oh, so you're, oh, so they're, um, your coveralls are polyester. That's good to know. <laughs> or at least yeah, partially I, polyester. I had to go with the Dickies, man. <laughs> That's, I didn't know. I, I, you know, it's funny. Cause I remember you talking about it in the discord very briefly. Um, and shout out to, by the way, I just got to give a, sh- a quick shout out to a former guest who we both know, um, Jay Z and Dan from Just Might DIY. I got to tell you, you know, they if anyone epitomizes the knowledge is meant to be shared philosophy, it's them. Mm-hmm. I have learned so much from them. They have been one of the best value adds to that group because they come in and I know it's. Um, Usually Julie that in, interacts with the group, but oh man, the things that I've learned from them, just watching them, I'm like, damn it, I didn't know you could do that. In fact, my sublimation setup is exactly the one they did on their first sublimation video because I was like, nope, I'm doing exactly what they did because it looks awesome. <laughs> so yeah, they have to get a shout out because they are just awesome people who share everything and are just the nicest you can ask them anything i mean i don't know if you guys can ask them anything i can ask them anything <laughs> and he means anything too um anything. i think between the two of y'all i'm going to end up with a sublimation printer myself you you need to you need to I, it's just one of those things where you don't realize how awesome it is till you have it i made the first i was on the fence about it and then i saw what the mugs looked like mm-hmm. and as soon as i saw what the mugs looked like i'm like i'm getting one because i'm i was paying a lot of money to have my mugs made and I'm like, I'm not paying a lot of money to have them made anymore. I'm just going to make them myself because they look exactly the same. You would never know, except for the fact that if you buy the cricket blanks, they say cricket on the bottom, but you can buy other ones that are just as good. <laughs> um, we have some people to thank, um, and we should probably do that because we are just. I could talk to I, I could talk to Dean all day, and sometimes I do. But we also have to thank the people that make this show financially possible. And those people include Leanne and Nick from Hemlock and Hyde, Dave from Atomic Airship Works, Emily Joyce, Ed from Ed's Clocks and More, Rory from RLL Woodworks, Chris from Full Steam Designs, Jeff Stein, a.k.a. A Weird Guy, Debbie Haddock, Jerry Hyduke, Joey from JH Custom Woodcraft, Dean Duplantis. Look at that. that. (laughs) He bought his way onto the show. Um, (laughs) Jacob Anguiano from Native Sun Wood Art, Robert J. Keller, Scott from Dad It Yourself DIY, the one and only Grant Alexander, Tony Langer from Langer Works, Jacob from Other Dog Designs, Jake from IMakeJake.com, 
Al Schultz from New York Woodworks, my buddy and pal. Justin Ofler, Bear Naked, Greg from Platte Valley Woodworks, Adam Mackey, Maker Mackey, and the Clamp Podcast. And yes, I have to say the Clamp Podcast. Sorry, Grant. Um, Kim and Garrett, Andrew Richard from Andrew Richard Makes, and Kellen Hazlip of Kellen Makes. You guys are the best, and we really appreciate it. If you can't support the show financially, that's fine, too. Feel free to leave a review, uh, share the show, tell someone about it. If someone's interesting on the show and you feel like, one of your friends might want to know then send the show on maybe we'll get another fan out of them also feel free to let us know if there's anyone you think we should have on we have i just got confirmation yesterday or yeah yesterday that a very very big guest is going to be on this show probably the end of october and i am so damn excited that's right i'm coming back the end of october (laughs) damn it no i said very big you're short we've established this already (laughs) but thanks for every thanks for every bit of support you guys give us whether it's you know financial or sharing the show writing reviews everything you do that helps the show we do appreciate it because we could not do this show without you and it's again really really appreciated the show doesn't grow without an audience listening to it and we do fortunately have one of the best audiences on earth you have an audience too dean and um, i'm sure they're gonna like to hear this episode just a little sit down with you and me and kind of like a fireside chat <laughs> yeah so if if you want to find me i'm I, at dean underscore Deplantis on instagram and i think vincent's alluding to we have a podcast called making our way mm-hmm. podcast um we'd love some listeners uh, it's a different format than uh what vincent puts out there but we're trying to do our own kind of thing we take a little deep dive into projects to find out what is in the maker's mind whenever they're coming up with their great ideas and if you want to give us a listen we'd really appreciate it I do appreciate that you release on Tuesday, by the way, not Wednesday. <laughs> it's really funny how like I, I, I picked I picked Wednesday because no one releases on Wednesday. And I'm like, good, Wednesday means if I tell we're out on Wednesday, I'm not I'm not sharing space with anyone. Yeah. And your it was like your first episode dropped on Wednesday. I was like, those sons of bitches. You were like a day late on your first episode. For yeah, some we reason. didn't understand the upload <laughs> procedure, but we definitely sat down. And was like, okay, we can't come out on this day, and we can't come out on this day. And Wednesday was because because we make. <laughs> it's fun. We, we everyone because it's like everyone in the group has a podcast at this point. So it was like you know on Monday it's clamp. On Tuesday it's now making our way. On Wednesday it's because we make. There's nobody on Thursday. Friday used to be makers figuring it out. They'll be back at some point. But it's just really funny. Like every day I can look. I could just tune tune in and listen to a friend talk to me. It's kind of nice. So you can take Swiduck or us and and do one Tuesday, one Thursday. Hmm. Good point. Good point. Yeah. Let's get. Yeah. 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 Good one. Good one. Let's get a. Let's get everybody a whole week. A whole week of the Mozzie crowd doing podcasts, and then we can all just shamelessly promote each other. Do you remember the old days? You're not. You're. You're. You're close enough age to me where you might remember these. Do you remember in the old days, like when blogs first really kicked in? And they used to have those things that you put in. It was a little bit of a little snippet of code that you threw onto your blog. And it was like you hit the next button and another blog would load. Yeah. And I feel like that's what we need to do for podcasts in some way. It's like, okay, you've listened to Because We Make, but now it's, you know, now it's Thursday. You need to listen to this one. Now it's Friday. You need to listen to this one. Oh, it's Monday. You need to listen to this one. Yeah, well, you know? We almost have enough now to just do our own station. You know, we need our own conglomerate next. I, I have a funny story about that, which I would definitely will not want to share on this show, 
But you and I will have a discussion about that because I've actually had that thought already, believe it or not. And and for those of you who like top secret intrigue, I actually did that once with a bunch of podcasts. And that's a story that I will never tell on this one. So have a great week, everybody. We uh, we do have a guest for next week. Um, we actually have a guest next week that we were supposed to have three weeks ago, which is kind of cool. So we actually got them coming back. Well, coming instead of... Um, we got screwed up with time zones and it's an international guest, which is always fun, but we will have someone to talk to next week. I think Ethan will be back next week, but if not, whether he's here or not, I will be here and somebody will probably be here with me to talk to our guests. And thank you again, Dean, for coming on. We really appreciate it. And thank you. Uh, we will talk to all of you again next week. Go to the show notes and you'll find all of Dean's links and go look at that incredibly insane mallet because it's something you've never seen before. Have a great week, everybody. We'll talk to you then. Mm-hmm.